massive, massive uh, good morning. Uh, yes, good to see so many faces here in the Great British Summer. Uh, I've been tasked today with kicking off um, Galatians 2. Uh, hands up if you've ever read uh, the book of Galatians. Who wrote Galatians? Yes, yeah, St. Paul wrote Galatians. Uh, actually, about 15 years only after Jesus uh, ascended uh, to heaven. How awesome is that? 15 years. So we're not talking about a, a 500-year break here in terms of like, it might have been some kind of like maybe eyewitness accounts or what he or she said perhaps. But actually, 15 years, there's not much time in, in that at all. Uh, there's a great movie that you might have all seen before. And in it, I'm not going to tell you what it's called, but you have to guess the title. Are we up for it? Drum roll, come on. Just get some energy going. So, there's this line, I miss, I'm going to give it away, but there's a, a battle scene. I love a battle scene. Do you love a battle scene? Or are you more of like a rom-com kind of person? In our house, all we watch is action movies. So sorry, Joe. <laughs> um, but actually, there's this great movie where this, this, these, these guys lined up ready for battle. And then this guy says, in a thick Scottish accent, Oh, Keith, what will you do without freedom? That's not bad, is it? That was not a bad Scottish accent. I'm really sorry if we've got any Scottish people here, and I've just totally mocked the accent. It was a rubbish, a rubbish um, attempt. But it challenges this army, because they're like, look, in the face of the English, no, the English are too many, that's what he says. And he's like, yes, but what will you do with that freedom? And it challenges them, yes, yeah, yeah, you can go home, you can kind of chill out, you can watch TV, don't worry, Game of Thrones is on tomorrow, Monday's coming, but what will you do with that freedom? And what a great question. And today I want to talk to us about freedom. You're probably thinking, oh, here we go, freedom talk. I've heard it 10 million times. But as I've been praying for us this week, I really sense God wanted to share some stuff. So God, as we just lean into your word for a few moments, God, would you uh, equip and challenge every single person in this church today. God, I pray the sun would shine and literally we'd have some, some energy and your presence in this room. God, as we lean in, that you would just be speaking to us, encouraging us, um, calling us further in faith with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a slide behind me. Uh, I wonder if we can show it. And this is kind of the context to how we're introduced to Galatians. In case you've never read Galatians before, it's the timeline one. And it says that, uh, obviously, AD 30 to 33, Jesus Christ uh, died and then rose again. Hooray! Yep. Uh, and then AD 31 to 34, this is Saul, who we know to become St. Paul. Uh, he's kind of persecuting the church at this time. He's famous for it. And, uh, and then 34 to 35, if you're tracking, Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus. Amazing moment where Saul becomes Paul and suddenly realizes that Jesus Christ is the real deal. Then we get to 37 to 38, so just a couple of years later, Barnabas and Paul, who are kind of missionary friends, um, early disciples, decide to go to uh, Jerusalem, the first missionary trip. Then we get to, I'm almost there, Barnabas and Paul travel to Jerusalem uh, with famine relief. And then 48 and 49 is when Paul writes Galatians. I thought it'd just be there. I know some of us like imagery. So just a mere 15 or so years after Jesus has kind of gone to heaven, you get Paul with St. Peter, but also James, uh, Jesus' brother. And the three of them are hanging out. How cool is that? It's not even like, oh, you know, maybe it's once removed. No, these are actual people who were mingling with Jesus who saw his death and resurrection, who saw him do miracles, who had eyewitness accounts, all these amazing things. 
And they're suddenly hanging with Paul. So Paul writes Galatians on the back of that. So we're introduced to this story in, uh, in Galatians. Um, in, in Galatians 2 verse 11. And it says this, But when Peter, and obviously we know Peter, came to Antioch, I had, and this is Paul writing this, I had to oppose him face to face, for what he did was very wrong. Now this is the rock on which God built his church. I mean, what could he have possibly done wrong? When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. Now when I say the word circumcised, I can see some hazy faces. People are like, what does that mean? So in your ones and your twos, just, just, just tell the person next to you what circumcision means. I'm only joking. But actually, I thought we'd do, you know, a little... <laughs> a quick demonstration. I know we like some, some visual aids, right? Any volunteers this morning? <laughs> um, but actually, he was complaining because Peter was eaten uh, with uncircumcised Gentiles. Oh, they're unclean. They're not really Jewish people. They haven't really got it all together. They're, uh, they're people who are on the edge of society. This is what Jewish people uh, used to think, and some still do. Um, but afterwards, um, when some friends of James's came, this is Jesus' brother, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Hypocrisy! How dare he? He was afraid of criticism for these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. So there you've got Peter doing the whole balancing act. Uh, I'm trying to be one thing to one group of people, and then also to trying to appease other people. I'm going to try and, you know, just, just kind of keep it cool with them. We all do that, don't we? You know, we all try and kind of hold face and, and just kind of keep people uh, happy. And then verse 14 says... Uh, since you, a Jew by birth, have disregarded uh, the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, this is Paul to Peter, why, why are you trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish tradition? Oh, do you all understand what's going on? So there you've got Peter, who's um, eating food with uh, uncircumcised people, and uh, they're not really in the kingdom of God. They're kind of a bit on the outside of society. Then, suddenly when his friends arrive, he's kind of pretending that he doesn't really eat with those people. And it's, it, so it's, it's a bit of hypocrisy, St. Paul uh, writes. Amen, hallelujah, and thank Jesus that we don't have to live by the law. So that's what Peter was trying to kind of accomplish, really. That sense of doing right in the eyes of men. And when I say live by the law, did you know that there's 613 commandments in the Torah on how to live your life just today? 613. We have a hard time keeping 10, don't we? 10 commandments. They have 613. The biggest one that I think most of us gentlemen in the room would struggle with, uh, it says don't do this, is wearing ladies' clothes. That's the biggest one that it says. So on a weekend, if you're ever partial to uh, getting the wigs out and hitting town in the high heels, the Torah says don't do it. But equally, it says to the women, don't wear blokes' clothes as well. So you've got all these laws about everything, about what you eat, the way you wash yourself, uh, what you say, what you don't say, who you, um, you know, bed hop and all sorts, and who you don't, and just everything about everything. 613 laws for your life today. Good night. Can you imagine that sense of just, have I done this, have I done that? And we know, don't we, in the New Testament, Jesus meets this, uh, this, this guy. And Jesus says, follow me. And this guy says, Jesus, Jesus, I literally keep all of your laws. And then Jesus says to this guy, that's great. But actually, I've got one more thing for you to do. And it's the only thing that really, it was so anti-law, it was a real freedom thing. But this guy kept 613 laws every day. What a guy. What a guy. I know I couldn't. So this is kind of the tension. 
So the issue is that Paul was trying to address this, this sense of people are living, people are living in the law when actually there's real freedom. But actually when I think about this room today and all of us, we've been offered freedom but some of us are choosing law. And what do I mean by law? It's almost like this is 15 years after Jesus has gone back to heaven. And St. Paul's encouraging the church, church, don't forget, don't forget that this is not about what you do, but it's in who you believe. Don't think it's about any good works, because you're going to fail, you're going to fall short, you've not got what it takes to reach perfection. So don't even try. But actually, Jesus' death and resurrection offers us righteousness, which is literally means sheer gift. It's a sheer gift from heaven that means we're viewed as perfect, just for believing. What an amazing, amazing thought. Fifteen years on, and the cracks are starting to appear in the early church, that actually it's not just about believing in Jesus, but it's about a, a rule system. If I just do X, Y, and Z, then perhaps I'll get into heaven. If I make it to church two out of four Sundays, perhaps I'll be deemed as a good Christian. Or perhaps if I give a little bit of church, then, then maybe that's, that's kind of the right thing to do. I'll kind of please God, I'll kind of keep the balancing act. It's this sense of all these things that we try and humanise and make um, uh, kind of laws within ourselves. And Paul's saying, no, 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 don't forget, it's about believing in Jesus Christ. That's it, that's the starting place. Incredible, incredible stuff. I think I've been a Christian something like 15 years. And it's so interesting because when I first became a Christian, and think about the moment or the moments of your journey. Isn't it true that actually when you kind of say for the first time, Jesus, I believe in you, it's almost like for my own life, this, this emotion rushed in of, of just a real sense of joy and a real sense of freedom. I thought about all of the things that I'd done and said wrong, but it was almost like they didn't matter because those things were being highlighted in my head to, to kind of say, do you know what, it, 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 it's, it's released, it's behind me. And actually I felt really free and clean, almost like, you know, when you see like a, a car getting washed with one of those uh, jet washers, you see all the dirty marks come off. I literally felt like that, it was amazing. But 15 years on, it's weird how I start to put things in my life that make me a better Christian. Or if I just read the Bible every day, I'll feel really good about myself. If I don't read it for a week, I feel terrible. I feel like I'm being judged. I feel like I'm a really naughty Christian. And this is literally what Paul's getting at. It is not about what you do or don't do. That is not how you enter heaven. It's not how you have a relationship with Christ. It is about believing in him. The law says, and this is old, that you can never be good enough. But the newness of Christ says you are viewed from heaven as perfect. What a great thought. The law demands you to obey every command or face eternal death. It's quite, it's quite, you know, it's quite rigorous. But Jesus only requires us to believe in him. So I wonder today, have we brought things into church that make it about us? In terms of, if I just do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to feel like a great Christian. Or I'm going to come to church today because actually I just need to appease that area of my life. But really the challenge today is saying, Jesus, thinking afresh, it's about accepting who you are. And, and Paul's saying that it's not works, but it's faith. And that's what saves us. Verse 17. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we're found guilty because we've abandoned the law. He's kind of writing to the Jews saying, look, don't worry if you get too much into this stuff. Don't worry about disregarding the law. 
Because here's what he's saying. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I'm a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law that I already tore down. So if we start to put this stuff back into our lives and start to make this a real law thing again, actually, St. Paul's saying we're becoming sinners. We're making it literally about us rather than about Christ. I think this title for this message would be something like this. Don't fall over something that's behind you. Don't fall over something that's behind you. Years ago, when Joe and I got married, we were in Cancun in Mexico. And it, it's actually, it's sunny there. It's incredible. It's like amazing. And we were there. And we're on this beach just chilling. Anyway, interestingly, I think Mexico gets hit by lots of drugs. People obviously drop them off the side of boats. It kind of floats to shore. So anyway, we're there just chilling on this beach with loads of other people. I'm a Brit, so I've got my flowery shorts on. Loving it. Just baking away. Anyway, and these, these soldiers walk by. It must have been 20 of them. 20 soldiers, biggest guns I've ever seen, full backpacks, headgear, the lot, and just literally walk past us on the beach. Anyway, so as I go past us, one of them kind of, you know, kind of walks past us, and then he kind of turns around, and he starts staring at Joe. And I mean staring at Joe. And I'm thinking, if he didn't have that gun or that uniform on, he'd get it. He would get it. But, but he has, so there's nothing I can do about it. Just pretend he's not looking. I'm getting really annoyed. Anyway, he's just having a good look at Joe holding his massive gun like this. I'm like, oh man, what's he like? Anyway, he stumbles over the biggest rock ever behind him. All his mates look at him and start laughing. And he's so embarrassed. He's like, gets up, picks his gun up, puts his hat back on his face, his sunglasses on, and off he goes. And I'm like, yes, 1-0 to England. And, um, but it's that sense of, do you know what? He didn't see the massive rock behind him. And I got so annoyed. But what an interesting thought that most of us, we get back into this way of thinking, this pattern of life. And we stumble over things that was supposed to have left behind. For this soldier, he couldn't see this rock behind him. He literally was walking backwards, and he stumbled over it. Don't fall over something that's behind us. Christ died for us, conquered sin's curse, and hauled on us. Um, but we still allow our old thinking and old ways to dictate how we live our lives. Freedom. What will you do with that freedom? St. Paul it's almost urging us to just stop and, and take hold of how far we've come. That relationship in Christ that really breaks rules, that is supposed to inspire us and spur us into faith. Think about the people in your life, perhaps who you know are Christians. And perhaps when I say that, there's a few different kind of faces popped to, to, to mind. Perhaps it's people who just are really just going for it in the faith and, and inspire you. Perhaps you're thinking of people somewhere in between that just, you know, you know the Christians and they kind of live the life and, you know, you just, that's cool. And then, uh, maybe there's some that just, you know, are just very serious about the faith and, and, and just have always been a little bit more reserved and a bit quiet. You know, when you think about this kind of tension of how we display our faith, I know when I grew up that there was, there was this guy who used to kind of come to a church that I used to go to, and you'd never see, ever see this guy smiling, ever. And like, you'd see him on the road, holding this massive, massive Bible. I think he used to drag it there, actually, or get a taxi, uh, you know, just, just for the Bible at church sometimes. It was that big. And, and literally, it, I used to think, man, is that what Christian life looks like? This sense of just, just no emotion, no display. And I reckon, reading St. Paul's words, I reckon this guy probably internalized a lot of this stuff. If I just be a good Christian, if I go to church, if I just handle this stuff right. But I actually know it's about a real sense of freedom. 
Who here today needs that reminder? Romans 12 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think a lot of this stuff is in our mind. I think a lot of this stuff is literally about a mental battle in terms of just, just kind of retraining the way we think. Uh, isn't it interesting? The things that we've all experienced in this room makes us the people we are, but so often it's the negative stuff that really does shape us. The criticism, the way we think, the pressure of work, uh, perhaps there's anxiety. It's almost like this stuff really begins to cripple. St. Paul offers hope and says, do not be transformed, um, do not uh, conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. My question today, are you free? Am I free? Are we free? And I was thinking about three quick signs that, that show that someone's free. Now, there could be loads more, and your thinking's better than mine. But here's just three quick ones that I grabbed. Are you ready? Number one, free people never look behind them. You ever watch police interceptors? And you're like, you, look, you look at this little shadow hopping these fences, this little white blur, and it, that's obviously infrared camera. And literally all you see is this person doing this. <laughs> like you just see this head turning, and then literally the police diving him. It's that sense of, pants, I'm being pursued! Ah! And he's just legging it. And then eventually he gets taken down. But actually, when you think about a free person in this context, you've got nothing to look behind you for, because actually the future is in front of you. And, uh, and actually, uh, the Bible says that there's no condemnation. And this is what lots of us look back to. Condemnation. Things that we carry, the things we've said, the things we shouldn't have done. Perhaps the things that we uh, just have, have dragged along our whole lives. But the Bible says, and I want you to hear this today, there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. None. So why do we continue to look behind us? The second one, really quickly, is when you look at someone who is totally free... There's a real sense of joy. Now, joy is, I think, as Brits, something we struggle with, isn't it? Because when you say the word joy, it's like, joy is that, it's that unattainable sense of always being happy. I mean, who can ever achieve that? I met a couple of Americans once who, who literally had uncontainable joy all day long. And I just thought, I can never achieve that. I'm a miserable Brit. I just can't. And it was like 5.30 in the morning, I was in this American car park, uh, part of a big church, and there's this volunteer team out. This is where we need to get to volunteer teams who welcome, right? It was 5 o'clock in the morning, the sun was barely up, and uh, my friends were there, we said, hey, good morning, how are you doing? She went, man, how awesome. And I was like, I like that. And we said, is there a reason why you're so awesome? And she said, because this morning I woke up and I opened my big can of awesomeness. And I thought, that's good. I could never achieve that. But I, I admire that. that, that's, that is, isn't that great? And it's that sense of actually, um, joy is something I think we struggle with. Joy is a great word. And joy actually, um, in the Greek, is chara, which literally means um, a feeling of happiness. Now, we know that, but the happiness isn't on current circumstance. Uh, the word for joy in the New Testament, when it's used, is always referred to an eternal comfort. It's that sense of actually, it isn't about whether I feel great whether my football team are winning, or, or where I am in like a point system, or whether I've got the promotion, or whether I just feel good today, or whether the sun's out. But actually, no, when, when the Bible talks about joy, 
It places joy as an eternal destination rather than a current situation. How interesting is that? Because actually, when we look at joy, it's like, well, you know, I feel okay today. Today's a good day, and today's a bad day. But actually, no. Joy sings well above just emotion. And I kind of put these two words together. Emotion plus mindset equals joy. And that probably is irrelevant to some of us. Like, well, I can't really grapple with that. But to some, it's like, do you know what? That's exactly it. I choose joy. I choose joy. Now, I know there's people here today, and you're probably saying, well, Elijah, you can say that. You don't know what I've faced or what I'm kind of struggling with. You know, and I've got some real just things that, that it's hard to look at and have joy. And I totally, totally get that. I hear that. We've all kind of faced some things. But isn't it a comfort to know that it's not about the current situation, but it's literally about we've got a, a joy and a hope because of what Jesus has done for us. That regardless of what comes our way, regardless of how we're feeling, or whether it's a great day or a terrible day, that ultimately our future has been decided. I love that. So, they don't look behind them. This is people who are free. They carry joy. It doesn't mean they're always extra awesomeness. But it just means that actually, I've got my eyes fixed on, on where I'm going. And, and that's where I choose to pin my life and, and my, uh, my hopes. And then also, um, I think people who are, who are free are, are key holders. Now, it's a bit lousy, I know, but I was just thinking of something as a third one. But what do I mean by that? If you've met someone who's come out of prison, and it's like, you know, what did you learn? You know, first of all, you will know what they're in for, don't you? Let's be honest. So, well... What did you go in for? But actually, the, people carry this real sense of, um, I'm released. And I think as Christians, we need to say, do you know what? We are key holders. That we, we are literally not confined to a cell or to a certain thinking or to the pattern of this world. But we've got the key and we've unlocked it. And literally, we can stand and look at where we've been. But now we celebrate because we're free. Romans 8.11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living in you. But Elijah, my situation feels dead. I feel trapped. I don't know what is next. Let's cling to that word today. The Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is all over your life and mine. Not just for right now, but also for next week. Come on, church. What a great reason to celebrate that we are key holders, no longer confined to the, to the sin or the pattern or the, the, the chambers of prison of this world, but instead we're released to a great hope and a future. Come on. There's a quick word that I want to finish with, and it's paradox. Paradox means it's absurd or it's contradictory, uh, uh, contradicting statements. Uh, and, and literally, I'm saying that because to experience true freedom today, we have to turn our lives over to Him afresh. That's it. We don't need to keep 600 laws. We don't need to dress a certain way, say a certain thing, rinse our hands 45 times before a certain meal. No, we got to do what we like when we like, and it's great. I think one of the most powerful stories to finish that I've heard that summarizes the gospel, which literally is Jesus coming to earth, is God putting skin and bones on and hanging out to do life with me and you. It's, there's a story by Abraham Lincoln, I've shared it before, and it just sums the gospel up so well. 
And I just felt this was for someone today. And Abraham Lincoln, when he became US president, had this huge passion to see uh, people who were slaves be free. And one day he was walking through this massive courtyard. He heard this huge commotion and he thought, what is going on? As he walked to this big warehouse, he saw literally uh, thousands of people, um, the, the story tells us, bidding on a, on a slave uh, girl at the front of this, uh, this auction. And she was a teenager and she was petrified. Abraham Lincoln moved with compassion um, just, just stood and gazed for a while and literally people were going crazy bidding for this girl. We'll give you 100, we'll give you 300, we'll give you 500, we'll give you 1,000, we'll give you 2,000 and up and up and went. And everyone was just doubling bids. The place was going nuts. Abraham Lincoln there with his bodyguards said he was so moved with compassion that he put his hand in the air and the whole place fell silent. This is the US president about to bid on a slave girl. This is hot gossip. This is so controversial. And he says, I will double what the last guy offered. And he walked up to the front. And as he, as he handed over the money for this girl, he literally said, as I'm paying this money, I want you to know that you're free to go. And she was just so bewildered. She said, I'm free to go and just hang where I want to hang. I think she was more eloquent than that. And he said, you can go where you like. And she said, I can go with who I like. He said, you can go with who you like. And she said... I'm so, so grateful. And he handed over this money. And it's such an illustration of the gospel because actually a lot of us live like we haven't been redeemed. But I want to tell you today that you have been bought. Not bought so you're going to be owned and, and branded in terms of an oppressive thing, but so you can be released, so you can be free, so we can live outside of what most of our friends at work and our families are still living within. Joy! What an amazing joy. And that's what our lives and, and our eternity points to, that sense of we get to hang out with this guy who's bought us. And when he buys us, he says, with, with my life, you're free. What an incredible story from that Abraham Lincoln. So church, I want us very simply, and knowing spirit, uh, weird spiritual ways, to respond to that today. Because I, I want us just to choose afresh today to say, Jesus, I'm going I'm to decide again to choose freedom. What will you do with that freedom? God, I'm going to continue to choose you. Because it's only you that could have broken the chains that held me down anyway. Be real. We've all tried to do it the world's way. Isn't it interesting how every major world religion says that if you try and, um, if you just try and get it all together, if you do these certain things, if you behave a certain way, if you wash your hands so many times a day, if you say so many prayers, um, if you travel to a holy site once a year, then maybe, just maybe, if you've got it all together, you'll meet God when life's finished. Maybe. Whereas Christianity is the only faith where God runs to humanity. And again today, God runs to humanity, day after day. So as he comes to you today, as he says, come on, let's do this thing. Let's live it out in freedom. Let's see what we've got in store for you. Our only, our only uh, thought today, our only response should be, God, I want to live it for you. So where do you sit today? Does it sometimes become about a legalistic point of view? Or today, should we just push that off again and say, Jesus, I want to feel your freedom across the whole of my life. But then also, I know there's people here who, um, in terms of just, just life, just feel trapped, feel um, secluded, feel locked off, 
feel like they're at a dead end. And I just want to pray into that stuff, church, today, that we're following a Jesus who literally busted sin's curse over our lives. And we want to just say, Jesus, would you just radiate your freedom in our lives today?